Stop with that already. No. Uh, no, stop with that. No. I'm telling you, I look in your face and I know that you're lying! <laughs> Hey guys, you're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly gimme radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. Today is a day is a band that both you and I uh, have a lot, and mainly you actually, have a lot of connection with this band directly and Steve Austin, the man behind today is the day and me more like as on a secondary way. I have a lot of connection to the band because the, I, I was a huge fan from day one with today is the day. And I still respect and appreciate their music to this day. And they've, they've had a, or Steve AKA today's the day has had a long career of putting out uh, high quality music, you know they just haven't. They have a new record out this year, and um, but the record that we're going to focus on is Willpower, which uh, which right. is their second full length record on uh, Amphetamine Reptile. And uh, yes, so yeah, I mean this. I'll just run down some of the basics uh, here. Uh, Amphetamine Reptile, or you might hear us refer to it as Amrep. Released this record uh, September 1994. It was recorded earlier that same year at White Room Studios, Detroit, Michigan. Engineered by Al Sutton and produced by Steve Austin. The uh, program length of the original release was 29 minutes, 36 seconds. And then there was a remaster that had an additional song, Execution Style which came out on Steve's label, Supernova Records, in 2007. And the program length for that is 31 minutes, 58 seconds, this uh, reissue. And uh, Execution Style had previously been released on um, a, a compilation called Dope Guns and Fucking in the Streets. And that was a uh, AMREP. They, they would put out, it was a release by Amrep, and they would put out these compilations of awesome bands that they, some of them were on the label, some of them weren't. And uh, did, did you ever collect any of those? I, I, I've had, I have all of them, actually. Oh, you do? That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, back in the day when those were coming out, um, there's like the seven inches. I had a few, um, but I always found them hard to come by. Um, I wasn't really doing a lot of mail order around that time, you know, so I'd go to the record store. If I would see one, see one, I would buy one. Um, so I had a few, but over the years, you know, buying and selling my record collection a few times, like a lot of people, I'm sure. Um, I did not, it's really cool that you have all those. Uh, they did release the whole series on a double or maybe it's a triple LP. Yeah. A, a few years back. So I have that, you know, so I have all the material for sure. But uh, no, I didn't. I didn't have all the original seven inches. That's pretty cool to have those. Yeah, I you know working at Newberry Comics uh, in the '90s, I was able to get a lot of that stuff. And then um, just living in Boston and traveling on tour, I was able to locate all those seven inches just over the years. A lot of them were um, down in Baltimore. Uh, there was Reptile Records, and um, that dude Chris X, he had like every possible record you can imagine even if it wasn't out in the store 
he had it secreted away in some box somewhere. And if you asked for, if you knew exactly what you wanted and you asked for it, he would get it for you. Most likely he had yeah. the record. You know what I mean? I never, I never made it to that store to Reptilian, but uh, yeah, I've heard, you know, the store, that guy was like the direct line to the AMREP catalog for yeah. people on the East coast. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think the, Part of the reason I didn't have a lot of those seven inches is because you and a bunch of my other friends worked at Newberry Comics Warehouse. <laughs> so be- before I could ever get to the store, they'd be gone. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was actually a very common occurrence where there'd be some rare record that would come out. Like, for example, uh, in the 90s, the Melvins had those uh, seven inches that came out with the death's head uh, symbol on it. Oh, and, the singles collections. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then like... There would there would be like five that would show up for to, for to go out to the stores and they would all right. be gone. That none of them would make it out to the stores because like you know Aaron Aaron Harris or like you know Clifford would right. buy them and you know I would pick one up and you know they would it would all it would all be bought by the employees. <laughs> yeah, I, I never worked there, but when I was living in Boston, uh, I I think I knew like ten of you guys that at one time or another had worked there. So that's what happened to all those. Uh, Dope guns complete. <laughs> that was that was an interesting place to work, man. Because it was like you, it was almost impossible to get fired from that job. It was the kind of thing where like you could show up late, people showed up, you know, fucking drunk and shit like that, and and uh, it was made for for guys in bands because like everyone that worked there was in a band. It seemed like, or and they would go on tour, and you you had your job when you got back. I mean the. Of course, the pace sucked and everything, but uh, right. you know you had benefits, which was cool, you know. And uh, yeah. and when you came back, you had your your shitty hourly job there, and uh, everyone kind of lived in that part of town, and you know you could walk to work and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was kind of like a fun time in the '90s to work there with everybody, and uh, you know, with members of ISIS, you had uh, guys from Cast Iron Hike, you had. Um, uh, Sam Blackchurch. Uh, there was a dude from uh, Blood for Blood work there. There was like all these guys in bands, you know. And I'm sure I'm forgetting other bands and you know other people that did right. stuff like Rama Mayo. This dude who did a record label called Big Wheel Recreations. He worked there. Uh, you'd run into pretty much everyone working at the warehouse. It's kind of a weird job that way. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't know how I didn't end up working there. I probably should have got a job there. I would have stayed in Boston longer yeah. than I did. You know? <laughs> um, you said you, uh, you were a fan from day one with Today is the Day, right? Like Supernova, like that came out. You yeah. were aware that was out. Oh, yeah. You were a fan of that. I, I came a bit later to the game on them. Uh, my introduction to them was Willpower, was this record. Um, uh me and the drummer of Cable at the time, we were booking a lot of shows. Uh, he, I mean, he was booking a lot more than me, but we both booked shows at a venue out here called Studio 158, uh, Eastern Connecticut. And uh, I would go over to his house, and he would always be getting promos and stuff, and he got this promo in the mail from Amphetamine Reptile, uh, Today is the Day Willpower. And at the time, neither one of us have ever heard of Today is the Day. We had no idea what it was. And that was really like a life-changing moment for me, putting that CD in the CD player, and both of us, our minds are blown. Um, it wasn't like, oh, we've never heard anything like this. You know, uh, 
but we never heard like uh, those components put together in heavy music. Like it wasn't metal, it wasn't hardcore. And you know, I guess the easy label to pull on it is noise, especially being on AMRAP. Um, that word got thrown around a lot, but it, to me, it transcends all that stuff. And it was like a, it was like the first time I heard Souls at Zero by Neurosis. It was uh, just like a life changing moment for me. Like it made me look at playing heavy music differently. Um, it didn't, you know, it didn't particularly sound like tuned down or, or anything like that. It sounded like it might even be in standard tuning. I mean, I actually don't know that for sure. It's a question I should have asked. <laughs> I think it is actually an E standard. I'm pretty sure, you know, it's, I'm uh, pretty sure it is. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I was just blown away and that record has stayed with me ever since that day. And, um, easily for me today's a willpower easily is a top five important record in, in my life. It really made me look at playing music and heavy music in a different way. Um, and I think it had that impact on a lot of people kind of that operated in, in our world and our scene that we were uh, involved in. And I'm sure if you ask those guys, and, uh, did, you know, Dead Guy, for instance, uh, I know those guys were heavily influenced by today's today. Um, and, you know, go right on down the line. They're, uh, they, they, spread, they spread quite a web with, with the Willpower record. I mean, some of those guys are probably into, uh, you know, Supernova before that. But to me, my introduction was willpower man and it was a life-altering uh record for me for sure yeah it's you know like i i'd been a fan of that label for a while i mean i think i think maybe the first band i heard on amrip was the cows and um it's funny like this i'm getting like kind of emotional thinking about this because there was this is like a very pivotal point in my life like getting into this kind of music because when i first discovered amrip it was like you know, coming out of the, you know, the late 80s and into the 90s. And um, I was at a point in my life where I was like, you know, eh, you know, punk rock, hardcore, whatever, forget about it. That's for kids, you know. And, and right. uh, you know, there was a lot of cool death metal happening around that time, which I was gravitating towards. And, um, and when I started hearing the bands on AMREP, it was like, I imagined it to be guys that were maybe, you know, with a similar experience, like they were into like black flag and they were into, you know, the circle jerks and like, uh, you know, the punk rock stuff and the, and the hardcore stuff from the eighties, but didn't want to like hang around with a bunch of kids who were like straight edge and vegan, you know what I mean? And sort of went into right. like a darker path of like, you know, adulthood and failed failures and, you know, expectations <laughs> crushed and things like that. And that's kind of like the 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 whole Amrep vibe is just like this kind of nihilistic, uh, very cynical version of of uh, broken dreams. You know what I mean? Like all of the yeah. well wishing of hardcore punk music being brought into the grim realities of like being a young man in the '90s and understanding what it means to to be out on your own. And there was like this. The Amrep bands always had this kind of outsider, like wandering, you know, kind of Travis Bickle like vibe to it, and that's exactly where I was in life at that time, man. I was like, you know, in my twenties, you know, just moved to a new town, and a lot of this stuff was like crucial. It really spoke to me, and then 
Yeah. Today is a day. There was I thought it was all the clusterfuck compilation, which had today is a day choke bore and a third band. And I should have written this band down. Oh, um, Guzzard. Guzzard. Yeah, there you go. See, see now now we're on now we're working together here. <laughs> that was the first time I actually heard today is a day. And then I think the I bent scared seven inch. Right. And then uh, you know willpower was the record that really sunk the hooks into me and um you know for the reasons I, I mentioned before and similar to what you said there was all these different components that were added together like yeah there was like this extreme noise thing going on there was like samples and uh you know there was like a, a blues and like country like thing going on very subtle you know and and yeah, they just seem like just like a bunch of weird guys that were playing this like almost unlistenable music, which was at the same time very abrasive, but also at the same time very catchy too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, man. Um, yeah, you described it pretty well too. Is like you know, kind of like the tail end of, of same thing with me, like the kind of the tail end of like getting out of like traditional. Uh, hardcore punks for the most part you know I still love that stuff I always will um, yeah but it was getting real stale man and like to me the AMREP scene and like uh, <laughs> willpower especially like it's kind of like if you met someone you know in your circle and you're like hey man do you you know this today is the day band or what this willpower record it was kind of like if, if they didn't you're like oh you know what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, you need this record, you know? But if you met someone that did, that already knew it, it was like, all right, like, you're, you're all right. You know, you're, you're on my level over here. Like, I mean, you know, I started to give a, stop, stop, give a fuck about like, uh, stop giving a fuck, sorry, about like victory records and revelation records. And that whole scene just started to get really stale, you know? And like I said, I discovered neurosis and Melvin's and sleep and that kind of stuff a little bit before, um, but when I discovered today is today, man, it was it was really had elements of that, like Black Flag and the stuff I grew up loving. But it was just there was something more adult about it. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, yeah, so it was like the early on getting into punk rock. You met someone else that was in the Black Flag. It was like a special thing, you know. I mean, nowadays, you know, it's a totally different world in that aspect. But like back then, it fucking met so you see some dude walking down the street with a Black Flag shirt. When you're a kid, a sixteen or whatever. It meant something, you know. And that's the way I got that feeling again when I got into uh, bands like Today Is Today and stuff. I was like, oh, all right, that guy gets it, you know. What um, was really cool about the AMREP bands is they all, all the bands had cool shirts. Like they had these, this merch with the Amphetamine Reptile logo on the back. And I always thought right. that was like a super cool logo. And I, I remember very specific times being out in Boston because this is like when I lived in Boston. It was like the 90s. And you know, I'd be out at, at other shows and I would see someone wearing an AMREP shirt, a band with an AMREP logo on it. And I was like, right. oh, that the fucking dude probably knows what's up, you know, because he's like into <laughs> into something that I'm into, you know. We're like on the outside of everything and we're like these cool, like loner dudes, you know what I mean? Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it was different. Now everyone, you know, it's a different story with T-shirts and everything, but... uh Right. Yeah, it is, man. It's not as identifiable. You know, I mean, I can't remember the very first time you had a conversation. Um, I, I'm sure it was at a show in Boston somewhere, and I'm sure, you know, 
I don't even remember how we got introduced or whatever. It could have been because of a fucking T-shirt one of us was wearing, you know? Like, oh, shit, you know who the God bullies are? Yeah, probably <laughs> something like that, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, I can tell you... a lot back then. I can definitely tell you how... Like, I knew about cable before I knew you, you know what I mean? Because cable, oh, okay. um, I associated with, like, this type of music, you know? And right. uh, I, I had become friends with Jeff Caxide uh damn actually this is really funny jeff was referred to me uh by someone because we were looking for a bass player in this hardcore band i was playing in and uh i don't want to talk about that band uh <laughs> but I, I know the band I yeah uh and jeff showed up one day and he ended up living with aaron turner and those guys and we lived down the street from them that the infamous hydrahead house that's where all those guys lived and um right and then Jeff was introduced to me as a guy who used to play in cable. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, you know, I like that band's a good band. And this guy probably gets the kind of stuff I'm trying to do here. And it was around the time that Dead Guy was like a really big band. And, you know, that, that glimmer yeah. of time when they, they were able to draw a lot of people and everything. And, um, and Jeff and I just hit it off. And that's how, through him, is how you and I actually got to meet, like, you know, all those years ago. Yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I remember when I moved to Boston, I lived with those guys too, running into you on the street because you lived like right down the hill from where we live. Yeah, um, but I was I was also aware of you before that, and uh, one of your other bands, Pre Anodyne, which I don't think you want to talk about, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, man, uh, it was uh, you know that day I went over. Uh, and me and our drummer discovered that record. It kind of just changed uh, everything. Um, you know, we cable as a band, we were looking for to do something different. You know, like that was the point of starting that band was we didn't really know what the what the hell we wanted to do, but we knew we wanted it to be different than a lot of stuff that was going on. Um, I don't know if we ever figured out what the hell we wanted to do, but that was a big influence on us. And then we got to play with today is the day. Uh, the tune-in in New Haven, Connecticut, on the Willpower Tour. Um, and that was another, like, transcendent moment. Those guys live were a thing to be seen. Yeah, <laughs> back especially then. back then, for sure, man. Whew. Yeah, it was, uh, I believe the Dead Guy also played that show. It was Cable, Dead Guy, Today is the Day, and there might have been another couple local bands on there, too. But, wow, seeing that live was, you know, three-piece man power trio no bells and whistles bass drums guitar and it was vicious and it was real and it was in your face and like nobody in that room and there was probably about 10 people in that room no one gave a shit back then even with dead guy playing this was right before they kind of broke so to say you know um i mean they left an impact you know i you you either loved it you hated it it didn't matter it left an impact uh, Steve, I've never seen a human being sweat as much as Steve Austin when he plays. <laughs> it was just like, it looked like someone dumped like, you know, 10 gallons of water over his head, like three songs into the set. And he was just like, it was so real and so like visceral and intense, man. Like you had no choice but to pay attention to. It. Um, so between getting that record, you know, hearing that record and then seeing it shortly after seeing them live uh, was very, very impactful on me. Uh, as a musician and as a fan of music and, you know, 
I can't overstate how important uh, that year was, man. Seeing them live for the first time and hearing willpower. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny that you met. It's interesting, actually, that you mentioned that show. Um, it's like you got Today is a Day, you got Cable, and you got Dead Guy. And I'm trying to explain this. Um, it's almost like they're in, like, acoustics There's or or sound waves. Like, there's this destructive interference or in this case constructive interference with all three of these different things for a a very specific time all those waves like met and created something you know what i mean and it because the reality the reality is like cable was like like you guys definitely and this is not um and i mean this with all due respect was there was like an emo thing that used to be part of what you guys did you know what I mean? Sure. Like there's like a screamo, uh, noisy screamo thing that I associated early cable with. And then there was Dead Guy, who are disciples of Rorschach, you know, that had members from that band were in it. Keith Hawkins was in it, you know. Yes. Uh you ha- and then you had these wild cards from Tennessee. Uh today <laughs> is the day. Who who knows where the fuck they what 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 was influencing them? I have no I I can't even tell you, you know. It's like, you know, I know like Steve would be like you know outlaw country music and like fucking Hank Williams or you know, I'm like all right cool right yeah sure but I don't know what else that guy was into that made him make music like that. But I had really never heard anything remotely, even the guitar tones, everything. You know, it's right. completely unique. And you can tell it's Steve Austin from the first note of every song. So all these things came together and there was an explosion of bands that eclipsed the popularity of all three of those bands that were have direct influence from all three of those bands. You know what I mean? And today's yeah. a day being like a, a band that still to this day are, you know, they're 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 a well-known band, but they're not like massive the way some of the bands that they influence were. And some of those bands sounded completely different. There was like a before and after effect when today is a day started infiltrating the, the hardcore scene. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Exactly. And then those bands were changed completely and became this other thing. And, uh, you know, and they owe a lot to Steve, I think. I totally agree with that. I mean, I could I could go on naming bands, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, that were hugely influenced by today is today. That you know, now are like these huge huge bands. Um, you know, people can figure that out on their own. But uh, I think the, the people might argue there's multiple reasons why today is today is not as popular as some of those bands. I I like to think, <laughs> knowing Steve personally and having many many conversations with him through the years and. I think today is today is not as popular as those bands because they still Steve still does exactly what he wants to do, and he does not give a fuck who likes it or what's cool or what's not cool, and he just soldiers on, man. Uh, you know he's not in Tennessee anymore. Now he's in Northern Maine, and uh, I think he just does what he does, and he's not not so worried about what other people are doing. You know, and I think uh, a lot of people, you know, you know how it is, man. When you're, you, there's a game you play 
in in this music world. <laughs> people don't want to people don't want to admit that, but like a lot of bands that are big bands and popular bands play the game. And Steve's never been good at playing the game. And I think that has a lot to do with why they they are where they are now and uh yeah, they kind of had their their moment for a while around in the eyes of God when that record came out. They were on relapse, and I'd, I'd say that's probably their like height of popularity. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, th- I think that when they transitioned over to relapse, which had a a broader like they reached deeper into the metal world than Amrap yes. was. You know what I mean? And and I feel like though um, you know that and, and you know the the term noise rock didn't even really exist at that time. But for lack of a better term, we'll call it noise rock. Like that scene, that Amrep noise scene was pretty marginal. You know what I mean? There was it was like a very um insider kind of vibe with those bands. You know, like there you know, there were some bands that got, you know, like Helmet, for example, became massively popular. Um, but a lot of those bands like just sort of a barely got their heads above water. And they were like, you know, they had their fans. But when they when today's they moved on to relapse, that's when like a whole other group of people that would appreciate what they were doing, I think, became hip to that band because a lot of people thought that was their first record. You know? <laughs> right, totally, man. So I wouldn't. I remember back. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, they didn't even know about the Amrep stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and, and, I would. Uh, I would be yelling at people like. This isn't their fucking first record. Like you got to check out their first three records. Like this, this is cool. But their first three records—that's the shit, man. Like never mind this. Check that out. And they're like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, you know, they thought it was like they were like a new band or something. <laughs> I mean, know? I think uh, I've been scared. I think that Seven Inch came out in 1989, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, uh, kind of you know, and then you know, in the eyes of God was on their second release for Relapse. Uh, and like you know, we both agree that was probably like their, their pinnacle um, of popularity. But then you think about it for a minute. What followed up in the eyes of God was a uh, a double album called Sadness Will Prevail. That from beginning to end sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yeah, uh, it's just that record is very hard to explain. It's not an easy listen. Um, there's a lot of things going on besides like, you know, three and a half minute like rock songs. Uh, I don't, I don't know if relapse was like ready for that, or I know a lot of their fans certainly weren't, um, you know, so that's a, a dividing record with a lot of people. A lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. Uh, but you know, it's kind of like what I was saying, though. like we put out in the eyes of God, it was, you know, it was pretty metal for them. And I had like kind of a formula, so to say, and then they put out, they follow it up with like this insane double album that almost sounds nothing like in the eyes of God. And I think a lot of people are like, well, what the hell is this? You know? No, I agree. It doesn't sound anything like it, you know? And, and I feel like that was like, it left me scratching my head a little bit, you know? I mean, I, mm. and, and I'm, and I'm a fan. Like I, I've, right. <laughs> I've like, you know, followed their progression like I said, I, I got into them like way, you know, the early '90s. You know what I mean? And you know, they changed because even even in the Amrap records, like between Supernova and um, and Willpower, there's like a, a slight. Their sound is different. You know what I mean? It's still, you know, the same vibe, but there's differences in sound. And then the self-titled record has a way different sound. And then in the Eyes of God, 
that's when they really started changing almost record by record what they sounded like. Right. You know, and but there was still like this insane thing that that kind of connected everything. You know, you can tell there's like this madness behind everything that linked all this stuff together, you know? Right. Um, yeah, man. You know, and then, you know, that show, <clears throat> show I referenced, uh, today's the day dead guy. And then, uh, right. Dan Cable played. I also got to meet Steve at that show and, you know, we became great friends and stayed in touch. Um, so years later, down the road, when we were going to make uh, our our third album, Steve had relocated from Nashville up to uh, Massachusetts, and he moved his studio and everything, all the operations uh, up to Massachusetts. So I reached out to him, and he he uh, engineered uh, what was our Northern Failures album, our second record for Hydrahead. And then you know when he was up here, we we became uh, you know, friends, like we were hanging out a lot. I would go to see today as a day rehearse. Uh, so we were, we were really tight for a while. And Steve went on to record, uh, two, two more full links for us. And then some songs here and there through other sessions. But, uh, yeah, so that's how I really got to know him well when he moved up here from Nashville up to, uh, New England. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome, man. And, and weren't, there was like points where you, possibly might have been asked to play in the band is that true uh yeah yeah it's true yep. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but for whatever reason you know it was a couple different times it'd been more out either time we never you know we never even jammed or anything like that uh but uh yeah I, you know yeah <laughs> i don't know why, i don't know why that never happened it just never happened yeah you know? um uh, being Steve the Jam, uh, uh, just one 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 time on a project that became known as Taipan, which oh, yeah. was a yeah a record he put out on his label Supernova, more more rock kind of feel. Steve played guitar and sang, um, so they had that today's day elements for sure. But it was way more just like rock and roll type shit. But yeah, I always maintained uh, a great friendship with Steve to this day. You know? Willpower also features what I consider to be the classic lineup of the band too. Um, you know, today's yeah. day has always been a three piece. There is a point where there's no bass player and a keyboard player, drums yeah. and vocals. So on willpower, we had Steve Austin, vocals, guitar, electronics, you know, samples, that kind of stuff. Uh, Brad Elrod on drums and Mike Harrell on bass. And uh, Brad Elrod, at least during this phase of the band, I feel like he contributed equally to the sound of what today is a day that he helped define that sound, I think with his drumming as well as Steve's crazy guitar playing and, and over the top like approach to the whole thing. Yeah, man, there's, there's no way we can talk about uh, any of the records that he's on, especially this record without, me anyway, gushing about Brad Elrod's drumming. To me, he's one of the most underrated drummers in heavy music, period. Like, his drumming was so insane. I think it was such a crucial part of those early, early today's the day it is. Um, and as, you know, we referenced the uh, amphetamine reptile documentary, The Color of Noise, uh, quite a bit. Um, I forgot who said it, but somebody was quoted in that documentary is saying at the time they were the best band 
a lot of people thought they were the best band on AM rap, you know, better than the Melvins, better than Helmet, better than whoever, the Cows. And they, they were, the quote was, in order to be the best band, you have to have the best drummer. And in my eyes, some of those bands you might like better than today is today. None of those bands have a better drummer than Brad Elrod. None of them. I mean, I'm a Melvins fan. I love Dale Crover. You know, uh, John Stanier from Helmet. I get it. Influential guy. Brad Elrod. I'll take Brad Elrod over any of those guys. I'd have to agree with you, just main, mainly because I just like Today Is The Day better than both of those other bands. And and um, and a lot of it is because of the, the rhythm section and the drumming specifically. And just combining that with just like the insanity of like Steve's guitar playing, his lyrics. Um, you know, I've, I was always very much into his lyrics and stuff too on all those records. And uh, the imagery and just this nightmarish landscape that he ended up uh portraying in the songs you know and a lot of yeah, that it was stuff, so much you know, different yeah it, it was, was very so different. different man very different you know yeah. and um yeah, like i was saying earlier it's just that period of my life was like a very trying period you know it's like the uh today's the day records and the amphetamine reptile catalog provided this very specific soundtrack to that you know point in my life and it was uh you know i was going through some like typical shit you know when you're like 24 years old or whatever it's like you know first real relationships falling apart and and uh not knowing what to do with your life uh you know that kind of stuff you know what i mean and and uh being broke trying to do a band trying to like survive trying you know that kind of stuff for the first time like your first iteration through all that stuff was happening to me right around the time i was getting into this stuff and it was you know very much uh a source of you know solace for me almost you know and you know yeah. today's a day neurosis uh you know integrity was another band that i got into around this time you know because similar to steve you know he, he had all this like charles manson sort of you know, references and everything. And, you know, there was this very dark uh, vibe to the band, which was something that uh, I was very much into. And also was one of the reasons why I was really not into hardcore around that time, because I just wasn't into the positive sort of stuff and veganism and being straight edge and all that stuff. Just it was not even part of the conversation I was having inside my head, man. It was... Right. So completely not relatable to my mindset at that time. And that's why I fell into bands like this, you know? Yeah, you literally just told my exact story of my, my life <laughs> from that around, and that age range. Like, literally, man, like, words of word. That, that's how I would put it, what this stuff, discovering this stuff meant to me, too, back then. Because, and I used to, in my own head, I had, like, my... The Holy Trinity, three bands to me were Neurosis, Today is the Day, Integrity. You know, and then there was other bands on the fringe of that. I loved Dead Guy. I loved uh, Buzz Oven was another one I loved. Oh, yeah. Craw, you know, mm -hmm. some bands people probably even, never even fucking heard of. Uh, but that was like my whole, Holy Trinity, man. It was Neurosis, Today is the Day, uh, and Integrity. You know, that, that was what formed, like, my my real opinion on what I wanted to do musically. I'm like, we're going to take all those three bands and push them together and create my own shit out of that. And, yeah, it was just, that was fucking broke, dude. You know, 
bouncing like shitty relationships ending and uh you know it, it was literally that's my story and yours seemed very very similar <laughs> around that time yeah totally man i just remember i don't know why this popped into my head just now but i remember getting a paycheck for 210 dollars like a week and i was like how am i gonna make this happen man like how am i gonna live on 210 dollars a week you know, I don't think I was actually making only that, but it was like, I think I had just come back from tour or something and I worked a few days and I'm like, man, how the fuck am I going to survive, man? And just all this, all this stuff really helped get through periods like that, you know, and it sounds corny, but it's true, you know? No, it's true, man. It is. It's fucking true. It's absolutely true, man. Uh, music is a powerful thing. It is. You know, I, I there's people I've met in my life who like don't listen to music or don't give a fuck. I don't understand that to me. If you take the music away from me, man, I got fucking, there's nothing left to. Yeah. You know? I'm in the same boat, man, for sure. You know? <laughs> it's it's uh, crucial. So I get it, man. It's yeah. It sounds cliche to say that, man. Like the music got me through it, but it did. It did, it did for me too, man. Like I, I'm not afraid to say it either, man. Shit meant everything to me back then. Let's run down the track listing uh, for the record, too. Um, so the original version of the record was uh, Side A, Will P- opens up with Willpower, My First Knife, Nothing to Lose, and Ends with Golden Calf. Side, right. B- Side B kicks off with Sidewinder, Many Happy Returns, Simple Touch, Promised Land, and I guess I don't think this is actually credited, but there's Amazing Grace, like this uh, instrumental uh, thing at the end. And the yep. reissue, they tag on Execution Style, which is like one of my favorite uh, song titles ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking so good. I, it's like for the life of me, I don't, the record is only, you know, 29.36 was the original running time. They tacked that on, and then it was just over 30 minutes. And I, for the life of me, I could never figure out why they just didn't include it in the record. Because um, it's such a great, great song, too. But, uh, you know, regardless, it ended up on the reissue. Um, so like a month ago, one of the uh, last times I got to see live music, you know, probably in my life. <laughs> no, don't say that, man. <laughs> so currently going through this insane virus bullshit right now. Uh, I got to see today as today on what was the first date of their uh, tour for the No Good to Anyone album that had just come out. I believe it came out that day or was coming out the day after. So I got to sit down uh, with Steve and actually ask him some questions about some of this uh, willpower shit we're talking about. That's awesome. Um, yeah, like you had referenced uh, the Amazing Grace uh, little instrumental piece that comes on. That was an ode to his father. Um, and I didn't even know for years whether or not that was actually someone in the band playing that or it was just some weird sample or field recording of like amazing grace being played or something but uh yeah what steve did play that in the studio it was like a tribute for his father had passed away the week before they went to michigan to record the record um which i i never knew but you know not to sound like one of those guys but like i can, you can almost i can almost hear that something in that record uh some kind of like deep shit in that record when i from day one when i first heard it i felt like there was more going on here than just music you know and talking to steve about that like not knowing his father had passed away right before that makes me look at it a little bit differently now and be like yeah maybe like 
some of that stuff from that record I was feeling back then. Like, you know, obviously he was feeling when he made the record, which I thought was interesting. And uh, I've always been interested in the cover art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like this, this fucked up looking face close up of like a face, like eyes and nose. And it looks like someone like turned to stone or something. So I, uh, you know, I had asked Steve about that and he said, uh, he was flipping through an issue of a hustler magazine. <laughs> yeah. Your favorite magazine. Hustler, you know? Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was like some article. It was, it was, a. I I believe it was around the time an issue from around the time of like the whole like crazy Larry Flint censorship stuff, you know? Uh-huh. And there was some article article in there about like the rise in domestic abuse and child abuse in the United States. And uh, it was a he, there was just some picture, and he cut it out of that article of Hustler magazine. Um, and he he would just cut stuff out, uh, pictures of magazines, and kind of store them away, like anticipating like future layouts or or whatever, you know. So he had that, and he also he had a piece of uh, wrapping paper that was like a, kind of a granite looking theme on the on the wrapping paper. So he he took that stuff, he sent it to uh, Tom Hazelmeyer the brains behind amphetamine reptile records yeah uh, amazing artist in his own right yep um so he merged this like picture that steve cut out of hustler magazine with this wrapping paper and that's how they created the cover of willpower like with that discoloration of the face and everything that's that's how that was created but i thought it was pretty interesting yeah that album cover is very haunting because it's like the fate it's like this child face and it's just so right. creepy looking you know yeah, it was the thing with that, man. It was like on every turn, like, all right, I got the CD in front of me, right? You know, the cover is like so creepy and fucked up. And then you open it up and like the inside panel is a picture of an American flag. But it's it's very worn and tattered, you know, but it's just yeah. an American flag. You're like, oh, okay. And then like the disc face is like these stars and moons with like this blue kind of sleek granite color. And the story behind the disc art is when they did their first European tour, they ate at some restaurant and they had all these, I guess they served the food on paper plates and they had all these crazy like paper plates with like designs and like spiritual uh, sayings and stuff on them. So this, they took a bunch of those plates home from tour and the disc print art is from one of those paper plates. Once again, Steve cut it up, sent it to Tom Hazelmeyer and that's how they got the disc print. Uh, and the American flag was a sticker Steve had put on the back of his first guitar when today's the day started. Um, and it wasn't all tattered like that, you know, it was just an American flag sticker. And then through the years of, you know, wear and tear and touring and shit, it just got all weathered and Steve just snapped a picture of it. So all these like elements that make this record like so weird and fucked up are like, just come from a very simple place, but you know, you don't, you don't have any idea. I love that, man. That's, that's, it's like so personal too, you know, because it's all actual things that were uh, gathered out in just living life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty interesting. Cause you know, I've been staring at this record for fucking a long time. I never really, it was cool to get some insight on where these things came from. (laughs) That's, that's cool, man. You got, you really got a chance to sit with Steve and get this stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was definitely a cool experience. He was very open, you know, he was, he was very willing and uh, open about anything I asked him to do with the record, which was cool. Um, 
I also had a chance to ask him about some of the songs, well, specifically the song uh, Simple Touch, mm-hmm. which is vastly different from the songs that precede it on the record. Um, it's like from, from the opening, you know, the opening seconds of that record, you get pummeled over the head yeah. <laughs> with like insane, like heavy, heavy rock. And then like Simple Touch starts uh, towards the end of the record. And it's just like this beautiful piece of music. It's like totally shifts gears. And I don't know, you know, how well you remember that song, but there's that like guitar solo that comes in yeah. and it, it yeah, it just it just sounds like I don't even know how to put it into words. It's so it's just very epic sounding, you know. Um, so I, I was always intrigued with that song, and uh, it's funny how like some of these things are just very simple. Like that song was about uh, a relationship Steve was in at the time, which according to him was not a very good one, you know. <laughs> uh, and you can see, you know, one day him and, him and his, his girl his at the time had just like this, this like magical day where like everything was like perfect, you know, in the midst of like this chaotic uh, relationship. So he was inspired to write a song about it that day about like how, you know, just one day everything can be so like dark and, and brutal. And then this beautiful thing happens and then it just goes away again. Um, so it was cool to get some insight on that song in particular, because that's, that's one of my favorite songs on the record for sure. You know, it's funny you mentioned that one too, because I just love the melancholy nature of that song too. I didn't know there was that much of a backstory with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, if you've ever had any, any conversations with Steve, Steve uh, is a talker, you know? So uh, there was a lot of information I was getting. So I just pick out simplifying things, you know, but, uh, to hear Steve tell these stories, it's it's uh, way more interesting. <laughs> well, you, you know, uh, and I, I hope this happens, but uh, I mean, you know, there there's been a lot of uh, stuff that's happened recently with guests, <laughs> and <laughs> um, you know, I know Steve not as well as you do, obviously not as well as you, but I know Steve from over the years too. And uh, sure. you know, I, I hit him up about being a guest, and he was all for it, you know. Right. And I I know that he was supposed he's supposed to be on tour right now, so I understand if I were on tour and I had to come home and be, you know, sidelined like this, I would be really in a bad, you know, mood. I wouldn't be stoked at all to talk to anybody. But I'm I'm hoping that eventually I'll get Steve on this and we can talk and maybe you the three of us can talk. I think that'd be sick. You know, maybe we can yeah, do this yeah. either through technology or maybe they'll reschedule those dates and when uh you know, maybe those tour dates will come to New York or New Jersey or Philly and we can all hang out or something like that. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great, man. Steve Steve would be an excellent guest, man. Yeah. He always answers the questions and, uh, you know, he takes it beyond that and you get answers to stuff you may have not even asked that are like, wow, cool. You know, yeah, no, that's <laughs> they'll, be back, yeah. they'll be back out there. They'll be back out there. They'll be the first band back out there to watch. <laughs> yeah. No, I like Steve. I mean, I've, yeah, I've not, I don't, not, I don't know him as well as you do, but he shows up every now and then and we talk and we hang out and it's cool. Like I know him. I'm more right. of like a once removed person from his circle of people. You know what I mean? Uh, like I think I met Steve back in the Hydrahead days when um you know everyone lived in New England and uh 
you know, Turner and Jeff and those guys, you know, at the Middle East upstairs or some shit. We all met there and, you know. Right. right that that right. was how our, but I was always like a third guy, you know. I was like once removed from his actual people, you know. Sure, sure, yeah. But, you know. Yeah. But uh, you have any favorite tracks besides the entire album? <laughs> Well, I know I feel like, like in the past, at least a few times, I, that was my answer. So I, I, this is the album I should have waited. I should have held on to that answer or waited, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, my, I mean, I, yes, the whole album to me is perfect. To me, it's one song. But if I were to pick uh, the song Sidewinder, yeah, there's the middle of that song. It, it just descends into this chaotic series of like accents and breaks and starts and stops. Which to this day, if I tried it in my head, like imagine playing along to it, I'm like, how the fuck could anyone even do that? Like, it goes on for like a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. But you're like, oh, it's good. It's gonna change here, and then no, nope, it does another accent, and then another one, and then another. Like uh, that song just always blew my mind. Still does. And then my favorite song is "Simple Touch," like we were just talking about. Um, just because it's such like a dark horse song, and it's. Yeah, it's this melancholy, man. It's beautiful, but it's like terrifying at the same time. And like Steve's vocals in that song are so haunting. Um, you know, that was another thing, man, about the, like listening to them. He would just, at the drop of a hat, go into this like beautiful singing voice. The you know? use of Steve's use of falsetto is is like remarkable, and uh, that's not a tech, a singing technique that a lot of men in extreme music are comfortable trying to pull off and he just dives right in and he does a great job yeah it's it goes from the most vicious thing ever to like the most beautiful thing ever and it's it's seamless you know <laughs> it's like that so that song always blew my mind man that that was uh definitely a favorite of mine uh simple touch how about you i would say willpower and my first knife the first two tracks and um yeah simple touch as well that's a song that uh you know, I, you know, like I said, that was a difficult time for me as well. And, and I remember that song uh, being very much part of my, uh, my solace of spirit, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, <laughs> yeah, just like one of those well, songs where you're like, you're feeling, you know, you're feeling sorry for yourself. You're sitting alone in your room. There's like no one around. There's no one to talk to on the phone. There's no chicks around. There's no nothing, man. And like, this is the record I put on and that song particularly would, would really grab me and, and it wouldn't put me in a better mood, but it would, it would help kind of like ease the feelings at that point, you know? And yeah, you know, just the mindset, man, I was in, you know, reading books about serial killers and Charles Manson and Satan and the, you know, process church and uh, church of Satan and all this stuff and listening to today as a day and, that kind of stuff was very, um, it was just like a very dark, negative space for me. And, uh, you know, this record was something to help get me through all that, you know? Yeah, man, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the opening track, like you said, uh, Willpower, um, has the, the classic Goodfellas sample, <laughs> yeah. which, uh, knowing you as long as I've known you, you know, we both have a love for those Scorsese gangster movies. And, oh, but yeah. knowing you as long as I have, I feel like there's been a time or maybe two, maybe two times in your life yeah, where a woman may have said 
<laughs> something similar to I look in your face and I know that you're lying to you. Probably. I'm just gonna I'm gonna guess that. <laughs> I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just saying I could see a scenario like that playing out. Well, it probably says more about them than it says about me, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you could spin it however you want to. It's cool. That's how um, I want to play it, you know. <laughs> a couple more quick things about some of the tracks. Yeah, um, man. The samples are a big part of that record. Yeah. Um, so everyone knows by now uh, the willpower samples from Goodfellas. Um, you know, Steve was telling me at the time they used that. He didn't feel like, you know, Goodfellas is a popular movie, but not like the, it's like everyone knows Goodfellas now. He's like, you know, I felt when we used that back then, like not many people even knew what Goodfellas was. And then it like kind of fucking exploded after that. Mm-hmm. Still like so fitting for that song. You know, the way that song opens with the bass and then the pick slides and noise. and It's just fucking perfect, man. It just punches you in the face right out of the box you like it makes you pay attention um but then uh, the samples on uh the song golden calf those were from a macintosh commercial wow that okay. was written by oliver stone <laughs> how the fuck did and he like, know that like how how is that something that anyone would know is the thing that kills me <laughs> I don't know, man. It was like 93, 94, kind of around there. Um, so that's where the, uh, you know, the you, you are the universe, like that whole, uh, you're the thumbs in the eyes, like that, that whole thing was a Macintosh commercial. I don't know who's doing the voice in the commercial and Steve didn't know either, but I guess it was written by Oliver Stone. Wow. Uh, and then the song Promised Land that has the whole, the, uh, you know, uh, Judy, we're ready for you now. Like that whole thing. That's from, I didn't know this. Most people probably do. That's from Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know that. And uh, I've only seen that film maybe two or three times in my lifetime. So, yeah, I, I didn't know that off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I, I didn't either. So, um, but the use of samples, man, uh, are like so fucking, they're just, they're like really part of the song. You know, the the use of samples on that record's incredible, I think. Also, I just I think the thing that got me originally was just the fucking title too, man. Willpower. It was like Yeah. I don't know, man. Like like I said, I am going to this again. Like that p- period of time for me required a tremendous amount of willpower to get through. And uh it just was the right thing for me at the right time in my life. And uh you know, it's like this, that you just, it's right there written in the fucking title, Willpower, you know, and it's right. so fucking heavy, man, just intense. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, yeah, man, that's, uh, that's Willpower by today's the day. Yeah, man, when, you know, one quick thing for people, like, we, we do a lot of these, man, and we talk about records that are unfortunately out of print or hard to find and stuff like that. Uh, today's the day is signed to uh, BMG slash the end record. And there, Steve told me they're going through the whole catalog release by release over the years. And oh, they're nice. doing reissues for everything. And the next one he told me is going to be willpower. Oh, fuck so yeah, man. Yeah. There'll be a new version of willpower, uh, CD vinyl and all that readily available out there. Cause I don't think right now you're going to find, uh, many copies of willpower flowing around. But, and, and if uh, you guys out there want a copy, just email Randy and he'll dub a cassette version <laughs> of it for you that you could listen to. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A cassette version of it. <laughs> I, have a, I have a cassette player. Yeah, yeah. You have to mail me a blank tape, a self-addressed, stamped, padded envelope. You fucking cheap bastard, man. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't just eat the cost of a cassette tape for one of our listeners? Come on, man. No, I just say go to fucking YouTube like everyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, willpower, dude. I can't, you know, I can't say enough about willpower. If, if anyone has never heard of willpower, fucking, well, you can't really get off your couch now. But when you can get off your couch and go outside, go get willpower. Yeah, hopefully when this thing airs, we might be uh, seeing the end of this thing, man, but you never know. So <laughs> You never know. Every day is a an adventure right now. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc., also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.